Okay, welcome everyone to episode 14 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. Uh, coming off, you know, an impressive win for the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't want to totally downplay it just because it's the Orioles. Beating anyone to this degree is an impressive accomplishment if they are an MLB team. Uh, but it is nice to get your first game against the Baltimore Orioles. That makes a significant difference. Stoughton, what jumped out at you from this game? Uh, yeah, I think it was Manoa. I mean, even though they hit a ton, which was obviously amazing, um, I was, uh, you know, and they've been they've been doing that. They did very well in Detroit this weekend. Um, but yeah, I was just going over and I'm writing about the game. Obviously, I didn't write about the weekend yet, so I got a big old thing coming. But uh, I was just looking at his location and his in particular his location to lefties, and he was definitely uh, working the inner half and getting like getting that slider in on their hands more. And, and I think that was. Uh, uh, you know, that's Nick, you wrote about this last week and we've talked about it before. Like that's uh, an issue for him or his, you know, the splits have been a little ugly this year, which is, which seems so strange because he's just, he's been so successful regardless. Um, but I thought, I thought he did a better job against the lefties tonight. And, uh, and obviously the scoreline sort of uh, reflected that. Yeah. That slider in particular, um, like you said, I wrote about it. There just seems to be a spot where it works to lefties, where it starts, you know, it, on the plate and it ends not way off the plate. He's not totally yeah. burying it the way that like a, a Gosman, when he's going, can really bury a splitter and have guys swing at something way off the plate. His slider is pretty horizontal, so it's hard to get guys to swing at it when it's way down or it's way inside. He has a little bit smaller of a window for it against lefties, and he did. There were a couple of those classic whips where it, it started and it looked like oh this is an off-speed pitch um you know it's not going very fast and it's coming into me and it's going to be on the inside part of the plate like understand how a lefty seeing that pitch can think wow this is a really enticing pitch because yeah it's a slow pitch it's coming into them they think they can turn on it and then the next thing they know it's just a little bit inside uh and they can't make contact that was definitely encouraging because he really hasn't had the strikeout totals in recent games like if you told me coming into this game, Manoa is going to give you six shutout innings against the Orioles. I've, I'm not going to say like, oh, obviously he's going to do that because that's an incredibly high bar to clear, but that wouldn't have shocked me by any stretch of the imagination. Him doing it with seven strikeouts and a single walk is what feels significant here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, some decent hitters, even though, you know, uh, at least one of them didn't, did not make the trip, but uh yeah, I thought that was really good. I mean, it is hard to assess yourself against the, the Orioles or, or the Tigers, frankly. Um, but this is they are they've continued to do the thing they need to do, which is uh, <laughs> which is just barely keep pace with the Yankees, even though. Uh, uh, and I'm not sure they're even entirely doing that, but uh, they're they're winning the games. They're winning the games they need to win, uh, and it will all tighten up at some point, I'm sure. Um, or if not, you know, they got you got to keep the Red Sox and the Rays at bay, the Rays in particular. So it's. Uh, uh, no, it's all good signs. It's, you know, they've been getting pitching performance. Their defense looked really good a lot of times. I think the, you know, the, the three errors notwithstanding, uh, we've saw some really good plays out there in the field, um, which has been, you know, I, I think just a, lo a long-term project that has, you know, uh, continued to get tighter for them and, and better for them. Um, and has been pretty decent all year, but it's, it's, it's funny how they don't miss a beat. You know, and Dan and Pat were talking about this at the end of the broadcast. Like, what, not, not that they don't miss it. I mean, Matt Chapman's really good, but, but Santiago Espinal is, uh, is a really good third baseman in his own right. Um, and I don't know, but Bichette, we haven't had the complaints about him for a while. Uh, I, you know, I'm talking about defense in a game. I guess, you know, I guess any game where they allow just one run is, uh, is probably good in that regard, but they also scored a ton of runs, which was, uh, even better. 
Yeah, one thing you touched on there that I've seen sort of some chatter about is that idea of like, oh, they're they're having this incredible stretch, but they're not catching the Yankees. And like, therefore, this is less valuable. And it seems like a silly way to look at it from my perspective. Like, yeah, you see that out there, though. Yeah, you see it out like as if, oh, it was futile. It was all for nothing. Well, like one there, you know, there's more than one ways to skin a cat. There's a decent chance that this is a wild card team. And so getting wins against the rest of the American League, uh, not necessarily their opponents, but just putting up a really good record that's going to put you in good stead against the Rays. And like you said, the Red Sox and whoever might creep into that picture, that is super valuable. Also, let's say they didn't have this amazing stretch and they kind of bumped along and won, you know, instead of I think they're 14 and four in their last 18 now, like if they had won instead 10, they went 10 and eight against not great teams, you know, then the Yankees really are, you know, tumbling out of reach. So even though it might feel like they're not making up ground or that the Yankees are super far out and we touched on the last episode about whether they're catchable or not. Uh, and, you know, we agreed it's not impossible, it's going to be tough, but they might have put themselves in a position where it felt almost impossible if they hadn't done what they're doing right now. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, uh, 100%. Like, it, it, it's still a big gulf, but, you know, the Yankees, come, like, they can't keep winning like that. I mean, they absolutely could, but... Um, but yeah, I think I think people are sort of also frustrated because of course they see like oh well Boston's going to sneak into the the third wild card spot and end up playing the Twins and the Jays are going to get the Rays, which I mean we're a little far out for thinking of that, but also wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, say it can't happen. Uh, though also you know at some point to be uh, to be a good team to be a winning team, the Jays are probably going to have to start doing better against the Rays. Uh, as scary a thought as that is. And, you know, doing well against the Yankees when that opportunity arises again, right? Like that that's where the rubber might meet the road. They might be in a situation late in the season where they just really have to sweep the Yankees at some point. And that, you know, that's a very difficult thing to do, um, but it is not impossible by any means. Like it is easy to reel back some of this deficit when you're literally facing that team and you're able to deliver them the losses they need for you to catch up. Um Again, it is early, right? Like, you know, there's about 100 games left in this season. And talking about what the playoff season is going to be is fun. But ultimately, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, Minnesota could fall off a cliff. The Rays could go on an incredible run. And you're worried about your positioning there. There's a lot that can happen. And that's such a boring way to frame it. Like, I, like this is a podcast. Let me entertain you by telling you nothing matters. And I can predict <laughs> the future. Um but but I think it's worth remembering how early it is and how much can change. And, you know, the Yankees could be two starters just destroying their shoulders out of nowhere away from a different position, and that can happen to any team. There's just so many disclaimers, I think, with all of this, and it's easy to get carried away. Yeah, you just kind of got to go out and beat the, beat the teams in front of you, which will be the Yankees on the weekend, which could, you know... Um, just keeping pace there is, is, is huge because, you know, you... You don't expect to get swept. Maybe you lose a series, and it doesn't feel as bad as if had they gone, you know, twelve and eight or whatever. You know, if they if they played well, but not as well as they have, and and, uh, and kept things, you know, at the 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 distance that they're at, as as far apart as the two teams are at the moment. It's at least that they haven't run away with it just quite yet. Because we have two, our next episode is going to be on Wednesday. We have two episodes coming up in kind of short succession. I wanted this one to have a little bit more look back. The next one can have a little bit more look ahead. And we had requests from people wanting your report on Detroit and your trip 
So I thought we could touch on that. And also people who are interested in do like personally, I've never done the thing where you go to Detroit and watch the Jays, but it seems like a logical trip. Is this something you rep- recommend? And what is the Scranton situation? <laughs> the, the Scranton, you know, the Scranton situation. Honestly, I waited. Uh, I, I mean, I got some, I got some, some dogs at the ballpark, uh, but I had had that that Coney dog afterwards, which was uh, I, I tweeted it out. It was delightful. Uh, you know, just the the absurd meat sauce onion thing. Uh, it was great. Detroit's awesome. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a guide who knew really, you know. Uh, the city quite well and uh, you know played in bands and uh, for years and played tons of shows there and, and uh, you know I think we were in Hamtramck which is like which is far northern nor farther north of Midtown so we were kind of like not maybe necessarily where where everybody would would go but uh, and, and required a little bit of like knowledge which uh, we were fortunate to have I would recommend doing it that way but uh, it's definitely um, even just from the first times, you know, driving through it 10, 10, 15 years ago that I kind of remember, uh, I never really properly sat, you know, uh, spent much time there, but, uh, it is, uh, less of a, a phony facade of a city like that, that you kind of go a couple blocks astray and, uh, uh, and you're like, Oh, there's no, there's nothing here. Like the, vi- the downtown is getting a lot more vibrant and of course, after the, the game was good, but yeah, I mean, I'm not telling anybody, I don't think, uh, lost most people. Understand this. I think it's just really, and the thing that I'm going to focus on when my piece goes up uh, this evening uh, is that they just play more. This is a, it's a, it is a great rivalry. It was, you know, the Kevin Gossman tweet was funny about like, oh, I didn't know how close Detroit was to Canada, but there's a lot of Canadians there. Uh, it's like, yeah, it is. It's a, you know, it's a, uh, man, I got to tell you, taking to, to to go from Toronto to, to Detroit is much easier than Peterborough. I'll tell you that much. That adds another couple hours to your trip. And oh, I watched a go train. Uh, the doors, the doors close on me when I was trying to get home and got to stay at Union for another couple hours, which was not my favorite thing in the world. Uh, still kind of feeling that at the moment, but uh, but no, highly recommended. Ballpark had some good food, had some weird stands. You got you can get your little Caesars there. None of this Pizza Nova shit. Um, <laughs> there was a one wide... Pizza Nova in my life when I was in the press box every night. <laughs> and it was just like you're dying and you need to stay awake to write something. And you reach for that pizza and over slice, and it just never makes you happy. And also, I will say this, which I, I got some. I, I got mad at the guy who got mad at me because he called me old. But I was, I was like, I love how the, it wasn't just blaring, you know, just screaming at me the whole time. Like the, uh, you know, if I wanted to listen to the announcements and to the, you know, whatever was going on in the stadium, like between innings and stuff, I could. But it wasn't overbearing, and maybe that was just a function of where I was. But I, I you know, I was around the stadium a bunch and. Uh, and didn't really feel any different about uh, about that. It was like, oh, we're here to watch a baseball game. That's like what this is about. It's not about like giving you additional entertainment options because you're here making a, a day of doing something else. And I was like, that, that seems nice. That seems like a thing they should do. But I'm like super in, inexperienced to go into other ballparks and stuff. So I'm sure there's people who are just like, listen to this rube talk about about like he's like he's reinventing the wheel so i want to be careful of that but no it was fun i recommend it i think the jays should play the tigers more uh now that the national league has no discernible difference between the american league maybe we can revisit some of these uh natural rivals maybe the uh maybe the jays and phillies don't really need to uh play each other every year maybe they could bring back something like the, you know i'm sure there's other examples where uh you know teams are in different divisions in the same league could use uh, bumping up the number of games. And uh, that's certainly one uh, I would be all for seeing more of. Yeah. what The one thing that struck me was the Gabriel Moreno moment. And I want to talk about sure. it because, you know, this is a huge prospect debut for the Blue Jays. 
Um, but when he came to the plate for the first time and the applause that he got in, in the quote unquote enemy ballpark is got to be pretty unusual. And, you know, we talk about Blue Jays fans going to Seattle, like that's a very well-known thing. I'm not saying that this is, isn't well-known as well. Um, but it was the sort of moment that you're watching it on TV and you're like, oh yeah, Gabriel Moreno coming for an at-bat for his first big league at-bat. This is a big moment and sort of in your head, it makes sense that people are applauding and then you take a step back and you think, oh wait, no, this is in Detroit. This is kind of insane that this kid, <laughs> you know, this top 10 prospect is getting, you know, the King's welcome to his first major league at-bat when he's a, a road player. Um, and that, that really kind of hammered home with the Blue Jays presence there, but what were the, I don't know, I guess from a live perspective, it's a little bit different watching a catcher, but what it very much is. Yeah. I'm like, you're going to ask me, but like, I can't really assess this framing from, uh, from like the top of the stadium, but, uh, but yeah, like the moment was great. The, the, you know, we hit that ball real hard there in the, in the ninth. I really, really thought Bichette had got enough of that one. Uh, on the last out of the game, I could not see the right field corner from where I was standing at the time and was like, was just ready to whoop it up and did a little bit before I was like, why does it say Tigers win on all these uh, video boards here? Um, but, but yeah, no, the Moreno thing was great. And I, I, yeah, but he is kind of a guy who will reveal himself, uh, you know, over time. It's not like watching a dominant pitcher. It's not like watching, you know, a, a slugger or a guy who is, um, you know, like he's going to be, he's, he's, he's very, he's going to be a very good hitter. He's been a very good minor league hitter, but it's all, it's all sort of like couched in like for a catcher, which is, you know, we, we, and also, I mean, Alejandro Kirk and what he's doing is maybe taking a little steam out of that a little bit as well. But, uh, um, no, it was cool to see him embraced by the fans and seem like have some success, see the, the team have the confidence in him to, to throw, to, uh, to have Gosman throwing to him. And then, uh, and then they went back to him with stripling, which I thought was maybe going to be the, the first one. Um, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's it is, it's it's so it's so weird to be so nonchalant about a, you know a top five, top ten prospect in baseball that just suddenly has appeared on the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's kind of that's where they're at, and it, it will be very interesting to see what they do with the three catchers moving forward. Yeah, I mean that that's the nature of the beast with catching in both regards. Like first of all, like you said, he will reveal himself over time. Like I was watching the first game and I was trying not to overthink. I was like, "Wow, he really stole that strike there!" Like, that was nice <laughs> and then you're thinking, it's like realistically to get a sense of how well a guy is at receiving. For like a guy can look smooth, he can have good movement behind the plate, he can have still hands. But I'm not claiming to be a professional scout. So it's easy for me to look at and say, like, oh, that looks pretty good. And he did. He looked good. He looked comfortable behind the plate. He seemed to move well behind the plate. His throw was fantastic on yeah. that, uh, <laughs> caught, that caught stealing that should have been. Yeah, um, that, was, that, was, that was pretty on the money, that throw. That was, that was definitely a moment where you kind of t- took notice. Because that another, that's another thing that will take time to be like, okay, wait, wait a second. He keeps uh, throwing guys out, trying to steal, but you can't really get that sense in one in, in one viewing. But that was a great throw. Yeah, I mean, if he makes that throw all the time, that's pretty impressive. And yeah. you know, it's worth noting that he threw up throughout uh, over half base, the base dealers that tried to run against him in AAA. So this is you know, it's a well known fact. The pop time thing was really circulating, like oh, he's got a I forget exactly what it was under two second pop time. Um, Sometimes with those things, I caution people because obviously it was impressive. I think it was top 10 in the majors or something like that. But when we have a young player, we tend to assume 
that he's going to get better at everything. So you see this, you're like, wow, it's his first MLB game and he's already doing a top 10 thing. And it's not necessarily true that he's going to get, you know, progressively better at that to the point where he's suddenly, you know, the number one or the best or, you know, like that seems like it's probably a bit of a young man's game. It's reaction time and throwing uh, velocity, essentially. Um, So I don't know if this means that he's suddenly going to be like the number one guy in that category. The sprint speed, there was huge reports on a sprint speed on the broadcast. We haven't seen it uh, on Baseball Savant since then. I think they need a certain amount yeah, maybe uh, a baseline, to put yeah. it up. But, you know, people were talking about nearly 30 feet per second. Like, that's insane for a catcher. Like, that's truly not seen in the league right now. So, if we want to point out those yes star moments for lack of a better term the thing that make you think oh this guy can be special it is that throw and it is the fact that um he was supposedly running at this incredible pace although i'd like to see more confirmation on that um but yeah you're talking about line drive good approach hitter and it's rarely one you know think about vladdy's home run tonight like there's a lot of hitters who just simply cannot hit that home run and hitting that home run does not guarantee you're a star, you're an amazing slugger, you're a franchise cornerstone. But you watch Vadi hit that home run, and there's an awful lot of guys who don't do it like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be a while, if ever, that we have a moment with uh, Moreno that looks like that. I mean, that home run just sidetracked for that for a second. Like that was uh, – it was definitely comforting for – where he's at right now because there has been a lot of ground ball like his sometimes his stats look okay because he's able to rip ground balls through the holes and that's what he did in this game mm-hmm. um but it it felt like it had been a while since he'd had one that was really that you know off the bat spectacular um he had the one the center field not so long ago but it felt like you know it's it's funny dan and and was going through the whole lineup and just saying to pat you know, let's, how about this guy? How's he doing right now? How's he doing right now? Just to point out that everyone's swinging the bat well. And Vlad was maybe a guy that you could have circled and said, ah, maybe not as much as the other guys. Um, and that swing was definitely a little bit of a rebuttal to that. <laughs> it was, it was. And yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll come. I mean, I'm sick of saying it, but it will. But like, uh, but I was looking, you know, I think in, uh, I was looking before, you know, for the piece that I'm writing for the, after the game here and, uh, I think for the month of June, he has like a 158 weighted runs created plus heading into tonight. So that's changed obviously since then. Uh, but it was like a 650 slugging and a 314 on base, right? Like it's, which is not what you really expect from him. And then, you know, the batting average maybe isn't what it's going to be. It's really, it really is all power at this point. Um, you know, for this little mini segment of the season, like I'm not saying that that's now what he is or anything like that, but, uh, uh, that doesn't make the home run any less spectacular, but I'd like to see some walks in there too. Yeah, I mean, he is at his best when he's commanding the strike zone. I don't think he's ever going to feel the way, you know, even last year when he was at his best, I don't think he ever really felt the way that like a Jose Bautista felt, where it felt like he just had such a complete control over the strike zone, Um, you know, or, you know, Joey Votto or whatever. Like, he's not quite going to be that ever. I think you're going to see some wild swings from him. and. It's generally speaking for the best because that those are the type of swings that result in these type of home runs. But he's definitely at his best when he's walking kind of well over, you know, just over 10% of the time. Um, and he's got, you know, a strikeout to walk is close to one. And that's a lot to ask for a power hitter in 2022. And it's not a lot of guys can do that. And that's part of when we talk about Alejandro Kirk, for instance, that 
tends to come up a ton. It's like, wow, this guy's doing all this and he's walking more than he strikes out. And that's maybe not a fair expectation of Vladdy, but when Vladdy gets close to that, uh, that's when you know that he's really firing on all cylinders. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's accurate. And, and also like that, you know, when Pat and, and, uh, and Dan were going through the, the lineup, I think they were like, yeah, there's like seven guys who aren't scuffling. Like there's seven guys who are going real well. Uh, you know, playing the, uh, playing the Orioles doesn't help tonight, but, or doesn't hurt tonight. But like, uh, you know, Scoobal is a good pitcher for the, uh, for the Tigers. They, they, they faced, they faced some guys and they faced one guy and lit him up pretty good. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see. It's nice to not, you know, we like, like bullpen, like relievers having to get work in. It's just, it's a nice detail after like the gauntlet that was April and May and, and all those one run games. Yeah, I think people were a little bit puzzled when they saw Manoa potentially coming out of this game when he didn't have a particularly high pitch count and there was no reason to go to a reliever for, you know, third time to the order considerations, et cetera, et cetera. Like there was no tactical reason why a reliever would have been good. And in, in a lot of cases, when you're in these blowouts, you actually want to push the starter a little bit further to save your bullpen. And there was a number of guys and they all came in today, Gage, and Simber and Merriweather, who hopefully, after yeah. what seems like a lifetime of bad luck, is his latest side discomfort isn't too bad, although those things tend to not be great. Um, those guys hadn't pitched since last Wednesday. Like, it, that's kind of, you know, think about Simber and how much they've leaned on him at times. And I think there was a moment when he was like leading the American League in wins because he was coming into so many big moments. Uh, that was very early in the season. But, the idea of getting Adam Simber work is pretty novel. And again, mentioning the lineup of runs, you know, as a counting size, kind of silly, but like every single Blue Jays hitter who started this game scored a run. Um, and when you, sometimes you hear that with games where it's like 20 runs or something silly, but this is only 11 runs. Like basically everyone got one, a couple of guys got two and it's this whole lineups rolling. And one of the guys who's been sneaky, and I think you were tweeting out about him a, a little bit was, is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I feel like he's kind of crept up on people. If he's got six multi-hit games in his last eight, like those streaks are well-documented, the ones that he's able to go on. And right now his season-long stats from a WRC plus, plus perspective, you know, in this less good offensive environment, are better than his total 2021 stats, which is wild because he's looked, you know, fairly inept for much of the season, but he's been so hot lately lengthening the lineup out of that seven six whatever wherever he ends up in the lineup if that position is still consistently getting extra base hits uh you know as we've seen like this lineup is really hard to stop i think it was our last guest zoobs who tweeted something like if guriel jr and teoscar are hitting like are are the blue jays unstoppable that feels like an oversimplification but um obviously Kinda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really helps. I mean, having Alejandro Kirk able to you know be your your cleanup hitter at this point, and and you know pushing down Teoscar the way that they have, and you know, Matt Chapman was hitting really well before the the wrist thing happened too. So you know, it's uh, how about the uh, it's fun. It's the it's the fun thing that we're that the, they're doing that we thought they were gonna they were gonna do the whole time. I was to say, how about the comparison between Rugnet Odor and Alejandro Kirk as your leadoff man? <laughs> Not lead off man, clean up man. Yeah, a little bit different. A little bit 
Uh, yeah, Odor. If there's any chance that Charlie Montoya called for that challenge on Odor just because he knew how hated he was, like <laughs> it was a no, as a non-competitive game at the end, the Blue Jays don't need that out under any circumstances, and in fact are trying to get their pitchers work, uh, and still going for the challenge. I thought was an interesting move. A, a, a little bit. I mean, I don't know. Vlad seemed really, uh, you know, he wants to, he he wants that that nice play that Bichette made to to count for something maybe. Uh, and then and now you're mentioning you're mentioning Odor, and I and I can't remember if I said the Orioles weren't all that sloppy on defense with their zero errors, but he he did not have a nice night at the, uh, with the glove, as I recall. Now, as a, a minor side note, because I was looking into it for a story, Charlie Montoya very successful on challenges this year. Really. Uh, He's, I think, with this one, he'll be 11 for 18, and his career rate for all time for four seasons is 38%, and so he'll be over 60 this season. I don't know how much credit you can give him for that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's really him in particular. It's more of a staff thing, but... I think uh, some of those roles have changed, I think, too, right? Like, with Schneider becoming the bench coach now, and I, like, is Hudgens even, does he even hanging out there? I don't even know where Dave Hudgens is. I don't see him a ton. He's pretty low key. I think he might be in cashing checks mode, but it's not, <laughs> bad. it's not a bad spot. Hey, I mean, if you can, if you, if it's, it's if you're like the Brad Arnsberg to George Springer's AJ Burnett, um, you, you cash that check, baby. That's uh, that you've done well for uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays. Another guy that I thought was worth a shout out is uh, you know someone that has been debated heavily in the Blue Jays fan base and here, which is Kevin Biggio. And I'm not yeah. saying that you know he's on his way to offensive stardom by any means, but very quietly playing almost every day out of that nine hole and doing the kind of stuff that he does when he's good. Like he, he's like that. The walk rate's it. very high right now. Very high walk rate. That at bat against Soto, uh, I thought, you know, it seemed like an automatic out, right? Like a lefty that has that kind of velocity, you sort of assume that Bijou doesn't have much of a chance. And obviously it might have gone differently if he had commanded the ball better or whatever, but it wasn't like all those pitches were uncompetitive either. Like they were good takes on Bijou's part. Sure, yeah. Slipping in the odd extra base hit. He might be a guy who the ball's liveliness of late um, could help him avoid some of those, you know, those fly balls that don't go anywhere. And yeah, I don't know. Since he's come back, you know, he got the OBP well over 400, and you know, he's getting some hits. I think after tonight, his OPS is around 700, which does not sound very impressive. But it was a lot worse than that when he first went down. And the idea of him getting on base for Springer, for Bichette, uh, is pretty significant, him being able to turn that lineup over. Because sometimes you can make that argument that as much as Springer is comfortable in the leadoff role, uh, there are times where it feels like a bit of a waste of his power. And you know that's nitpicking, because he's great at both. He's great at being a leadoff man. He's great at driving guys in. But there have been times this, this year, especially when he's kind of the guy who's going the hardest and he has all these leadoff home runs and he's going to destroy the Blue Jays' record for leadoff home runs uh, if he stays healthy over the next couple of years, or even if he doesn't stay healthy, he's going to do it. And having Biggio get on base at a respectable clip makes all the difference in the world for you know lengthening the lineup, as we said before, but having Bichette and Springer able to not just get on for the big guys in the middle, but also bring some guys home. 
No, I, I think that's true, and it's been nice. I mean, the power, well, there was an extra race hit tonight. Uh, he is sneaking a few of them in. I think it was like a 288 slugging at the end of this one or something like that. Like it's, uh, uh, And yet was still at uh, about a 99 way to run square plus. So he was an average, league average hitter, even taking into account the terrible start that he had uh, because the on base is high because he's getting those walks, which, you know, um, part of the thing, the thing that all the, the internet people who are kind of uh, – soured on Biggio lately have, uh, have, have said myself included of being, it's been like, you know, the, he just doesn't do enough damage for it to be justifiable for pitchers to walk him that much. But if he can, if he's doing it, he's doing it. You know, I mean, if he's, you know, the damage is not really, uh, counting like, like, right. He's not racking up extra base hits a, a ton, but he is, he's getting that respect from pitchers and, 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 uh, and is able to turn that into walks and that's making him a, produ- a productive hitter, even though, the power really isn't there at all. And so, you know, if the walk rate goes down a bit, even, you know, we start seeing a little bit of the livelier ball help him out a bit, uh, that could continue to make him even just a league average guy, which as your, you know, as, as the, as the, you know, the, uh, the Swiss army knife kind of guy, uh, that we've kind of envisioned for him for a long time, uh, which he's sort of starting to become. If he can do that, then then that's a nice little player to have on your bench, I would say, right? And especially from the left side, considering what little else the Jays have there. Though Toppy's hitting a little bit, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know he's if he's a little bit to... more. That's for yeah. sure. I mean, just because everyone is. But, you know, his his push-up thing is becoming a thing. The way he he is fun. It, it, it's kind of, you know, he ground onto those double plays today. He's not good. The defense isn't good. He's not no. a valuable player. But <laughs> nope. he's a nope. He's objectively fun to watch um, when he's on the bases. You know, he's got the Bryce Harper helmet flying off thing yeah. going all the time. <laughs> he's sliding in when he doesn't slide in. Like, sometimes people accuse Kevin Pillar of the TV dives in the field. Tapia definitely has the TV dives on the bases. Like, he'll slide right in there uh, regardless of whether it's needed or not. I, I respect to that though too, right? Like I don't know if I if I am somehow by like some some quirk of the universe like transported into a, a major league baseball base path and have a chance to slide twenty feet into to home plate. Uh, that's the you know that's the choice I'm probably going to make, provided I don't embarrass myself and and fall over myself, which inevitably I would. But uh, for someone with the skill to do that. Hell yeah, I got that uniform dirty. Yeah, it look it's a good look on him. And if he doesn't look like he's trying hard, then he, you know, he's definitely not good enough that you're like, oh, he's <laughs> getting by on talent. So yeah. no, so yeah. he's got to be doing that all the time. Now I, I looked into Tapia a little bit recently, just because he, like you said, he had been hitting more. The reality of what I found was like there just wasn't a lot there. Like it, you know, it's still. You know, it's still no walks, no power, too many strikeouts for who he is, and it just seems like the ball's falling in for him right now. That's totally fine. Uh, I think the Blue Jays are happy to take a little bit of a mini hot streak from him. One thing I did want to say about Biggio before we got off him is that this year he's also, again, like doing damage would be an exaggeration. I do think that sometimes we overestimate the amount that you have to quote unquote do damage in order to draw walks because pitchers simply miss their spots a fair amount of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, even the best pitchers do that. And, you know, we see a lot of hitters who have a great power deterrent and yet they don't draw walks because they're so aggressive. And the flip side of it is less likely to exist. I don't think that means it's impossible for it to exist, 
But Biggio's, you know, he's got his highest. This is a small sample, obviously, this season because he was down for part of it. But his highest exit average exit velocity he's had, he's got an expected slugging of 406, which if he slugged 406, that would be great considering what he does with getting on base. Sure. Um, you know, he's got hard contact higher than the last couple of years. I'm not saying that suddenly he's absolutely smashing the ball, but that 283 slug that you referenced doesn't feel like necessarily a fair representation of where he, he is. And, you know, we know that expected stats can be dicey because a lot of the time they don't take into consideration direction enough and they didn't take into consideration, you know, the dead ball at the beginning of the year. But I don't see him as a guy who's consistently hitting like 340-foot balls to center field. If anything, he's a bit of a pole guy. I don't know. I just think that before the year, people were so ready to bury Biggio, especially because they liked what they were seeing from Espinal so much, which is clearly like that rocket ship has taken off. So good on everyone who was believing in Espinal. But the moment they saw like a very small sample of Biggio being terrible out of the gate, they were willing to say, oh, well, everything I believe in has been confirmed. Right. Is there anything we <laughs> have learned about the internet? It's that people like to have what they already believe confirmed for them. And I think it's interesting that Biggio is maybe in these couple of weeks giving us reason to rethink what we may have believed and maybe disassemble uh, our need to assume that he's absolute useless trash. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's true. And, uh, you know, I still have questions about whether that profile you know, is going to work. Uh, the way that well, that's certainly not the way that it was sold originally, but he can be useful, and uh, and he was always better than what he showed at the start of the year, and I think it was a, a smart move for him to be on board. Not that he necessarily had a choice of of going down to AAA and uh, and you know after the you know, taking an extended sort of rehab uh, assignment down there after the injury and and getting healthy and getting his swing a little bit back in order, and uh, it's it certainly doesn't hurt that everyone around him is hitting too, right? Like it, it, where like that was just the whole thing for so long where it's like, well, nobody, nobody's hitting. And then the, the hitting becoming contagious thing where, where the slumping was becoming contagious. And uh, it just makes it that much more noticeable. Like you can have a quiet night to the plate if you're Kevin Vigio right now. Because uh, chances are somebody on either side of you in the lineup is having a great night. So uh, that probably that probably all feeds into it as well. I, uh, uh, we got a couple chat questions, which uh, I feel we shouldn't, shouldn't oh, discourage people from doing. for me. So I... You know what? That I'm sometimes sorry. does that. That sometimes does that for me as well. Well, we got I've we got Joe from, ignoring you. <laughs> we got Joe from earlier in the earlier in the show, just as uh, referring back to the Gatorade thing, saying we should dump Gatorade on ourselves to simulate the experience. Um, which uh, you know, maybe at the end of the podcast, maybe when we declare a winner, uh, we can think about that. But uh, maybe, maybe not. I've, maybe not today. I did the ALS ice bucket challenge thing when that was a thing, and that was enough of experience for me, such that I'm not super enthusiastic about uh, extremely <laughs> cold liquids being dumped on me. Obviously a good cause, no regrets, yada, 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 but it gave me some perspective on that experience and, uh, you know, and the grind that Hazel May is going through when the Blue Jays are winning. I wonder if part of right. it is hoping for a loss if she just does not feel in that cold Gatorade one night. I mean, uh, wouldn't be the first media person to start secretly <laughs> rooting against not that that's what's really happening with Hazel, but, you know, people tend to get cynical about things. Just, it's, it turns into a novel. Nice. But... Just the odd night. Yeah. You know, it's like unseasonably cold outside and it's just an ordeal. I don't know. I, I, I feel just... like it's probably happened. 
Well, well, in October, we'll we'll see how that goes. Also, we have uh, Jay's Twitter legend uh, James and To says, "Hey, gents, thought on the po- thoughts on the possible logic to hide making that review challenge that the batter was hit uh, a strategy there that we may not have considered." Um, what the hell happened there? Yeah, there, <laughs> there was a challenge. That was a, that was a funky one. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, I don't. You don't see a lot of challenges that long, and and. Uh, you know, uh, Dan. You know, Dan. Dan does a great job of elevating everyone around him. I, you know, Dan, Pat's folksy charm comes through a lot with Dan. Not to not not to disparage uh, Buck, who everyone loves obviously as well, but because uh, they have they have their own sort of rapport. But uh, uh, but yeah, I'm just I'm just like puzzling over what on earth was even happening with that challenge. Was uh, was a fun little moment in uh, in the game, I thought. Um, but I don't know if I paid it, enough attention to it to know what the hell was supposed to be happening there. Like they challenged, they challenged whether the batter was hit, uh, which he was not. They were correct about that, but he swung, so he was out anyway. I believe it's. I believe he was hit. I think that it, the play was treated. Oh, he was hit, was but yes, hit, but he was in fact yeah. hit. But that was irrelevant because he had swung anyway. That seems or, right. I think that if the ball, I don't know, it always seemed weird to me that you can get just get hit by a ball and if you swung it's it's kind of okay i don't know i don't know if i want to award these bases because swinging at these pitches that are hitting you is pretty embarrassing and it's kind of funny that you have to go out but it just seems a little bit cruel that you get drilled by you know a 90 mile an hour pitch uh, and you're just walking back to the dugout because you oftentimes it's a check swing too you know what i mean yes oh definitely yeah uh, that, yeah, that was where, I mean, I'd be curious to see that happen in a game where it wasn't, you know, nine, nothing at that point. Cause it was kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. At some point you kind of like, just, I don't know, call it the other, call it against us. I don't care. Like, like, can we just move on with this game, please? Like this, or let's wrap it up here. The one thing that I do like about how that played out is it kind of reinforces the idea of the risk associated with a challenge. Like you can challenge something they're going to look at it and you might not like what they find. Like this happens in football all the time. People will challenge a whole play and they're, they're challenging it because they're interested in thing A that happened. And then they look at the play and they're like, yeah, your challenge is actually not really relevant. But we actually discovered thing C over here and that's bad for your team. Uh, and I think that that's important. Like if you call for a challenge, you have to accept that whatever they see in the replay is is going to be the you know the new law of the land and right. so you don't really see that in baseball because normally it's really one thing that's going on with a play and this happened to be multiple things so i think that's kind of cool to reinforce the idea that there is a risk associated with the challenge kind of beyond losing it or whatever which doesn't really matter late in the game um i'd be open to adding more risk to losing a challenge i don't know exactly what that would look like but yeah if if we're going to look at the play we're looking at the whole play yeah, I think that seems fair. Uh, do do we have any more questions in the chat? Oh, right. No, we not not that I can see. And yeah, sometimes I don't see chat chat questions either. I'll talk to I'll talk to our our, our friends at Colin about that because yeah, it is. Uh, I would hate to be to anyone to think that we're ignoring them. Yeah, we we I think we address it at a pretty high rate. I think it's close to a hundred percent. Maybe not literally a hundred percent, but we we're working on it. We're trying. We're trying. We're out here trying. Uh, yeah, we got to Do we have anything else? I just one uh, couple. Just let's just quickly t- touch on a couple of pitchers who pitched over the weekend before we get out of here. Um, one of them is Ross Stripling. Uh, 
I mean, Ross Rippling teased us by being good for a little bit last year, and he I did. don't know if we really ultimately bought in. Uh, I guess my question to you would be whether this feels any different or just feels like, you know, if a guy pitches and he's, you know, not dreadful, which stripling can be not dreadful at a certain point, you know, the sequencing is going to result in a good stretch for a while, for a few starts, or if there is something that interests you in that and then just touch it. Well, we can touch on Gosman as well after Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, stripling, no, I mean, I'm going to have to see a lot more of it and probably, you know, more than 10 starts of it <laughs> to really start buying in, but he can be this guy and he can be, he can be useful. And, you know, the guy he's taking over for at the moment wasn't really providing anything anyway. So that certainly helps, but like, you know, the, the, the six innings of one hit ball, uh, you know, that's, that's beyond just useful. And, and, you know, credit to him. I, I don't know. He was he he doesn't throw hard. He throws a, a lot of a lot of different stuff. He was throwing changeups to to right handers. He was, uh, uh, you know, the sequencing. The, you know, the game calling the, with Moreno was uh, was interesting. It seemed to work. Uh, different uh, different challenge against the Yankees this week when he faces them over the weekend. But uh, but you know, we I suppose we shall see. But uh, you know, and that's. Really, I think the benefit of getting starts like that out of him is is that you know the what we talked about earlier with the bullpen. It's just like those guys didn't get used because Ross Stripling keeps giving you six innings. Like that's uh, that's a pretty good place to be, and and you know completely justifiably so. I don't know if it was five the one before, but you know what I mean. Like you 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 kind of hold your breath when he goes out there because it just it doesn't look like overpowering stuff because it isn't. Um, but yeah, I mean I, he can he could get by and. Uh, and I, I, I was ready to believe last year when he had that little run, and it, it did sort of evaporate eventually. But uh, uh, so I may not be burned quite as easily the next time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was pretty encouraging. Yeah, I mean, he is he is definitely a guy who invites skepticism by nature of the stuff he throws, but also because of his relatively recent track record, which has been not great since he's joined the Blue Jays. Again, he's sort of a not a disaster guy, as opposed to a guy who add significant value or he has been uh there are a couple things in there you know he's throwing his fastball significantly less which seems like yes. a good idea because it's not yeah. an impressive <laughs> fastball no the changeup was really good last uh last start like you said he's throwing that a lot more it was good in 2021 as well i kind of thought that maybe he could use it more he seems to be doing that uh, the slider has been good as well he's it was also getting a lot more ground balls i feel like last year he was kind of trying to be that fastball at the top of the zone pop-ups and mm-hmm. strikeouts guy and i just don't think that was ever going to work for him over any period of time so i don't know he feels like a version of himself that's more likely to work but there's a difference between more likely to work uh and actually working and like you said uh, you know you need to see it over an extended period of time there's interesting stuff going on with it but uh you know seeing him have good contact management stuff is pretty impressive because he's always been someone who people make hard contact against again i don't, I don't know i'm talking kind of talking myself in and out of it right now i, I think <laughs> it's one of the situations where there there's some stuff going on it's interesting um it's too early to call it a breakout it's too early to say this is something that we can firmly believe in but like you said the blue jays are going to take six good innings out of him uh any day of the week and you know if somehow ryu is healthy tomorrow I might feel more safe in the hands of a Ross Stripling start than a Ryu start based on what we saw from him. So 
that's you know something that I probably wouldn't have said a couple of months ago. So this has made some impact, but yeah, skepticism is always the default mode. Yeah, but if he's doing, I mean, if he's yeah, if he's doing something different and it's succeed, I mean, that is at least that's at least interesting. It's not it's not like okay, same same old Ross Stripling, uh, new success. Like it's if he's. You know, and you're right. The fastballs were down. They call I don't what, like does he just call it a curve? I mean, I think uh, Sackass calls it a knuckle curve, which I'm not. You know, I'm not sure where they're getting that from. I don't. I don't recall hearing a lot of that uh, term thrown around, but uh, I was using that a lot. Uh, I think to right-handers as well. Maybe it was to lefties. Who's to say? Uh, but it did look different for sure. The pitch mix. The. Uh... So the other one is is Gosman, just because we had that concern about Gosman heading into the start. Uh, you know, not a great start against the Tigers. Obviously, you expect him to dominate a team like that that really struggles against right-handing pitching, really struggles against pitching in general. Uh, <laughs> it just, you know, it's a, it's a bad ball club. It seemed like the perfect sort of bounce-back spot for him. He didn't quite give you that. Uh, on the flip side, he gave you a functional splitter. So... Yeah. More than anything else, the fact that he was able to th- – he threw a splitter more than he threw any other pitch. He got 11 whiffs on the splitter. That's pretty good. 19 swings on 35 pitches. That's not quite what you'd expect, but it's definitely not you know, a twin start or Mariner start situation. I think it, it's fair to describe what he did as disappointing. Also, like that's quite a few. He had 15 whiffs on the day, but he only ended up – with four strikeouts that's kind of unusual like that's kind of a sequencing thing normally if you get that many whiffs you end up with a few strikeouts so you know a little bit of i don't know if you want to call it bad luck per se but just kind of mathematical weirdness he might have ended up with more strikeouts on a different day i think that it it might be sort of a panic is over situation but he definitely could have reestablished himself with a stronger outing yeah, you're right. I mean, disappointing might even be strong for that. Like uh, he was, I mean, again, I mean, that was the game that I was uh, uh, up up in the stands, so it was and and wandering around. So you know, take some of it with a grain of salt. But I've uh, but I've gone over the data out of it, and and, and what what, started, what jumped out to me was that he was uh, at least a little more so than previously, and certainly more so than the Twins start was was. Uh, was overlapping, you know, where the splitter was landing and where the four seamer was landing, where where it wasn't they could just uh, they could just ignore everything low. Like there were some lower in the zone four seamers, there were some higher in the zone splitters, and that sort of uh, enough to keep uh, the, the uh, it was enough to keep them on their toes to not like just do what it seemed like the twins did, which was uh, uh, I forget who I forget who tweeted it, it was but called it the old Ari Dicky thing where it's like if it's high, let it fly; if it's low, let it go, kind of thing. Uh, which I thought was a smart assessment, and especially sort of borne out when when you started to look where the the pitches, you know, cross the strike zone in that start. And I, I think he he elevated the splitter a little bit as well, like because he'd been throwing so many of them that were just, you know, darting out of the zone. Uh, and when guys were laying that or laying off that, uh, that that makes that real difficult to, you know, of course, you know, they, they, he needed to he needed to fish a little bit higher up, uh, and, and I think did that even though, like you say, it didn't necessarily translate into strikeouts. So yeah, I, I think it was encouraging. I think uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see um, even more overlap next time between sort of, you know, I don't think he's going to start moving the ball all around or anything. Like I think he's got a pretty good thing going with the with the, the sort of elevated four seamer and the splitter. Uh, that dives out of the zone, but uh, 
but it, it just felt like he they became a little too distinct there uh in maybe in the twin start and that's what sort of people interpreted as he was tipping his pitches when it was really uh not quite that the thing with him too is that you when you think of a splitter you think of it diving way out of the zone in the dirt that's probably your instant mental image with that pitch, but sometimes he can be really successful throwing it sort of just below the zone where it mm-hmm. looks more like a traditional changeup. And it felt like in the twin start and even in this tiger start as well, there was maybe too many pitches that were way out of the zone, not quite challenging it enough and not enough that were yeah, just below the boundary of the zone. It's not like a, like I described the Manoa situation where there's sort of a thin band of where this slider works to left-handers. It's not that like he, he has a lot of success with it. He gets people to swing for it in the dirt. I'm not saying that that's a necessity, but I think when he's at his truly best and most dominant, which we saw early in the season, he has a lot of those splitters that just challenge the bottom of the zone and fall a little bit out of it. And that is an incredibly hard pitch to hit. And more importantly, it's an incredibly hard pitch to lay off of. And that's really his game. Uh, I don't think the league suddenly figured him out I think he's going to be fine. This outing, yeah, this outing was enough to make me feel like he's, yeah, he's not in the same place he was against the Twins. And that's, right. you, like you said, you could ask for more three walks, four strikeouts. You want to see better than that from kind of a top rotation type of player against a bad lineup. Disappointing. Maybe that's unfair, but I don't know. My expectations are high. So I'll, I'll yeah. stick with yeah. disappointing, but I'll, you know, watch him closely in the next outing. Um, it's getting late here. Uh, we got no more of your questions to answer unless there's uh, some glitches, but we appreciate you guys listening in, uh, whether it's live, whether it's later, whatever the platform is. One thing I will say uh, in the housekeeping thing is we had that random RSS feed glitch where the episodes weren't coming through for a while. As a result, we rebooted and on Apple pods, I believe we lost all our reviews. So we're going to encourage you to come back and give us hopefully delightful reviews because, you know, I'm, I miss them. I miss all the nice reviews we had before. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys Wednesday for another game that is likely going to go something like this. <laughs> One hopes. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you Wednesday.